You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we do not need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. How many Star Wars fans in the room? Just a handful. Out of you Star Wars fans, everybody else just went, well, what are we talking about? Out of you Star Wars fans, Mandalorian fans? Okay. Did anybody else hear when Aaron was reading the passage from Isaiah and he said, this is the way? That it sounded like he was inside the helmet? This is the way. Just me? Me and Kyle. That's right. Okay. Good. Good. Well, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and it's my privilege today to uh, get to open God's Word and to talk to you this morning about uh, being uh, imitators of Christ. And that's what we've been talking about all morning. We've been singing about that and how uh, Christ empowers us and emboldens us to do that and to move forward. Um, as is my custom, which makes it your custom every time I speak, we're going to take just a minute here. I want you to put both feet on the floor. I want you to sit up straight. Put your hands in your laps. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's barbecue happening outside. There's uh, games and family and life and struggles and trials and tribulations and all of that stuff is going on, right? But in this moment here, we want to be right here, right now, in the presence of God. So what I want you to do is just take a moment here, take in some deep breaths, and then we're just going to sit in silence in the presence of God. Father, we're so grateful that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. We're so grateful for the simplicity of the gospel. We're so grateful that you uh, allowed us uh, to be uh, the conduit of your message. Your scripture says that you chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that was lost. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you uh, blazed the trail before us and showed us um, what a, a righteous life would look like. So, Lord, now as we take a look at this passage here this morning, Father, I just pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds 
Help us to focus our attention on you. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak this morning would be honoring to you, would be clear, and that it would be beneficial for all of us, not because of me and not because of us, but because we were here together in your presence. So Lord, change us and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. So 30 plus years ago now, however many years ago it was, um, believe it or not, I was a U.S. Army paratrooper. Can you believe that? Most of you are like, no. (laughs) No, sir, that should not have been the case. It's true, I was. One of the things that, um, when I'm thinking about being an imitator of Christ, and this is what brought me to thinking these things, Prior to uh, the Airborne being a part of uh, the U.S. military, uh, wars in general were waged the same way. The way that wars were waged was that the officers and that the commanders and the generals all stood at the back of the field. If you go back far enough, they all sat on horses at the back of the field on the top of the hill, and they sent all of the troops into combat. And they watched from the field. Maybe you might have a really brave officer that would ride down into the fray and take care of business. That all changed with the Airborne uh, for the U.S. military specifically. In the Airborne, the way things work is that the officers are the first to put their foot on the field of battle. And they are the last to take their foot off the field of battle. They lead the way. And one of the things that that did for me when I was uh, in, in the Army, in the Airborne, is I learned that I could trust my leaders because I knew that they had been where I am going. And in doing so then, I looked at them and I realized, boy, I could follow them anywhere. As a matter of fact, I want to be just like them. I want to blouse my uniform pants just like they did. That sounds silly, doesn't it? Men should blouse nothing. But we were proud as paratroopers. We tucked them in our boots and we said, ha, take a look at that. I wanted to blouse my boots just like they did. I wanted to wear my beret just like they did. I'm starting to sound like something really strange, but those were, those were some tough hombres that looked like that. <clears throat> I wanted to walk like they did. I wanted to talk like they did. I wanted to lead like they did. I had absolute 100% total confidence in everything that they said and did because I was going to follow them. And the airborne motto is all the way. That's how I was going to follow them. Now, here's an interesting thing about Christianity. Christianity, very similarly to that, there is somebody that we should always look to emulate. It's right there in the name, as a matter of fact. Christian means a follower of Christ. He's the one that we should be looking for, for our example, how to dress, how to walk, how to lead. The interesting question about that, though, is how many of you have actually physically seen Jesus roaming about the earth? 
Nobody. Me neither. Now, I've seen movies about him. Some of them were good. Some of them not so good. I've seen pictures of him. If you don't know, I I even have a tattoo of him on my forearm. Some of you all just went, ew. (laughs) It's okay. We'll forgive you this time. It's great. Yeah, but we've never actually seen him. So how do we know how to follow him? You can say, well, everything's written that he did was written down in Scripture. But remember, John even said at the end of his gospel, he said, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, it would be a library, a world full of books that we couldn't contain everything that he did. So we have ideas and examples and we see all of that. But what he really did for us, what Jesus did for us, was he gave us here in 21st century Linwood 2,000-ish years of followers of Christ that have gone on before us to be able to look to them to see how it is that we should imitate Christ. So our big idea today is this, is that the imitation of Christ often comes through imitation of those who have walked with him longer. As a matter of fact, the book of Titus gives us a a recipe for this. It says, Older men should teach the younger men. Fathers should teach the children. Older women should teach the younger women. Older uh, mothers should teach the children and so forth. That's the model for that. That's what should be happening inside the church. That's what the church is all about. We're helping each other to walk through this walk, to grow in faith and grace. Now, here's a caveat for us today because we really need to clearly understand this. Because if we just follow men, we're not following Christ. That's how you create a cult of personality. I'm following after this man. I'm following after this teaching. I'm following after this. We have to always follow after Christ. Now here's the trick. Paul plainly tells the church at Corinth, he says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what he says plainly to them. And when we think about these men in the Bible, specifically those like Paul who wrote almost the entire New Testament, we can get this idea that he was somehow supernaturally better at being a Christian than all of the rest of us are. Do you ever read that and think about these guys as kind of glassy-eyed, walking around in bathrobes, you know? How now, thou, whatever, I don't know what they say. (laughs) But we think of them as somehow different than us. Like they were somehow better than us or more spiritual than us or supernaturally built somehow than us. But the reality of it is, is that they all struggled just like we struggle. Paul's a great example of that in in that the fact that uh, we get this great story in the book of Acts where we see just how human he is because he gets mad at John Mark and says, I don't want that guy anywhere near me. How, you know, powerfully Christian is that statement? But then later he says, hey, make sure that John Mark comes because he's uh, important for me. It's beneficial for him to be with me, right? That's the working of Christ in Paul, right? And so these guys were just guys just like we are. That means that the struggles that you had are the struggles that they have. Now, they weren't worried about TikTok and spending too much time on their cell phone, but they had other stuff. I'm looking at you guys. I know what you're up to. (laughs) 
They had other things that they had to work through, but they struggled just like we struggle. And so when we think about that, if we've got these idealized versions and we said, yeah, it was easy for those guys to say, oh, I'm going to follow after Paul because Paul was this, ah, 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 Paul was a guy just like you are. Some days he woke up, woke up and he had it. Some days he didn't. Some days he struggled. Some days he, I'm certain there were days when, especially when he was in chains in a prison where he thought to himself, what in the world have I got myself into? But what we, when we remember that and we can see that, then we have to understand that to follow Christ is not in our power, but it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we have any chance whatsoever of imitating Christ or helping others to imitate Christ, we too have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Aaron used an illustration of kind of guiding kids through the crowd. I was thinking this week about um, how many of you got taught how to drive a car by sitting on your dad's lap? Just me. Okay, there's three of us. Okay, what were the rest of you like on a tractor? You know, I don't know what you were doing. So yeah, maybe that was, those of us that raised our hand too were a little bit older than the rest of the crowd. I'm just saying. I learned in a simulator, Steve. Um, (laughs) I sat right on my dad's lap and he handled the pedals and I was steering the car. And we weren't going fast at all. And we were cruising around in the church parking lot and I was probably uh, nine or 10, right? But if you think about that kind of an illustration, I'm steering this thing, so we're going in directions, but who's the power behind it? Dad is. He controls when we go and when we stop and how fast we're going and all of those kinds of things. So when we think about being an imitator of Christ and doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like that. Yeah, man, we got a steering wheel and we're going to go do crazy things. I'm certain that he was in full panic mode as that car was, you know, aiming towards a light pole or something. You know, he's like, got to turn, got to turn it, got to turn it, going to turn it, got to turn it. Right. And so but that's the key here is to really understand it's not about me. It's not about the people that we're following. It's not about Paul and it's not about the church at Thessalonica and who they were following and how they followed. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit that's working inside of us, that drives us towards living a a life that imitates Christ. Does that make sense? All right, the rest of it's super easy now. It's not super easy. You're going to spend a whole lifetime trying to figure this out. Come on. All right. So here's what Paul says in verse number six of this section. Paul and others, as was pointed out to us, there's several writers here. In verse number six, he says, you yourselves became, speaking to those at Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So he said, you became imitators of us. And one of the things that we have to understand about being an imitator of Christ or an imitator of those that are going on before us is, and he lists this out for us here, which Paul is so... uh, gracious to do for us, but he gives us three things about being an imitator that we need to understand. The first of which is this, is that if we're going to be imitators of those that went ahead of us, imitators of Christ, we need to understand this, that we need to do that regardless of our present circumstances. 
Right now, the church at Thessalonica was going through some serious persecutions. They had life and limb on the line. We do not have life and limb on the line. You might hear that in the social media that everybody is chasing after Christians and we're the most hated and all of these things. And perhaps some of that is true. But the reality of it is, is that all of you drove here today and walked into this building and sat down and worshiped God freely. There's nobody coming in to haul us off to jail this afternoon. They're really not even concerned about what we're doing, to tell you the truth. So regardless of your present circumstances, now that's not to say that you're not going to have circumstances in your life, whether that's globally on the big C church or whether that's this church individually or whether that's you as an individual person that aren't going to be tough and difficult and hard to deal with. But he says in the middle of all of those things, regardless of what your present circumstance is, that we need to be followers of Christ. As a matter of fact, if we can stand up and follow after Christ in the midst of all of those tough circumstances, he'll help us to walk through those circumstances. I may have said this to you guys before, but if I have, you can hear it again. You know the footprints in the sand poem, right? You guys love that one. You got it on a pillow somewhere in your house, like <laughs> needle point somewhere on a couch in the back room or something. I heard somebody one time, uh, they kind of, uh, in making fun of it, but mostly it's really true, is um, where they get to the part where there's only one set of footprints, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I was carrying you through that, Right. Uh, somebody was making a comment where it was a set of footprints and some drag marks. Because <laughs> that's mostly what it is, you know. He, Christ isn't carrying us through these things. He's dragging us, kicking and screaming as we go, right? But so regardless of our present circumstances, we need to be followers of Christ, be imitators of us in spite, Paul says to these guys, of severe persecution, and again, we don't, we don't live in severe persecution, right? But we have problems and difficulties. And so regardless of those present circumstances, we need to follow after Christ. Secondarily, we need to understand this. As imitators of Christ, the good news impacts our every day. He says, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Now, the message he's talking about there is the gospel, the gospel. There's um, the good news impacts our everyday. The Thessalonians welcomed this good news. And sometimes it's hard for us to really understand just how impactful the gospel is in changing lives. We benefit from a society that is uh, loosely based on Judeo Christian values. They didn't live in that society. So when the gospel altered them, when Paul talks about um, the family and how the family is situated and put together and uh, who's the head and where the children fit in and how the husbands and wives work together, you have to realize to us, we look back and we say, that's so archaic and la, 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 all the things that we argue and complain and moan about. But the reality of it is, is that what he described to them was a radical transformation of what the family looked like based on what the Roman culture world family looked like. 
And so you have to understand that the gospel then, we sometimes think about it as, oh, someday I'll get to go to heaven. Someday I'll have eternal life. Someday that'll have an impact on me. But I'm here to tell you, friends, that the gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your ability to repent of your sins and accept him as Lord and Savior, definitely has an impact on your by and by, but it also has an impact on your here and now. And when we live according to scripture, being an imitator of those that went before us and an imitator of Christ, our lives will be different than what's going on out there. Now, you may have grown up in a tradition like I grew up in where being different from the world had a lot to do with outward things, right? Don't wear this. Don't go here. Don't listen to that. There was a lot of don't listen to that. All of those things were external things. What Christ does for us is he changes everything. It, the way our mind thinks, the way our heart views the world, everything gets changed. And when everything gets changed, then everything changes. And we won't look like them. And it doesn't have to do with what we're listening to or what we're wearing or what restaurants we go to or what apps we use. It has everything to do with what God is doing inside of us that's changing what our focus is. Because our focus is then no longer all the stuff and things and how do I make it here and how do I be this and how do I be that. The good news impacts us in such a way where we are focused on how do I please him who died for me. So the good news affects our everyday. The third thing that I see here in becoming an, that we're, as they became imitators of us is that they did so with joy because of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of debate back and forth, and I've heard lots of stuff, and I've read lots of books about joy and happiness and how there's this uh, bifurcation or a separation between joy and happiness and how there shouldn't be because the words in Scripture grammatically are the same words and God, yeah, all of that stuff. All, I mean, you can look up all the grammar that you want. I think you're probably digging too deep to understand the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, is that joy is a state of being, and happiness typically is built on your circumstances. You said, is that really true? Uh, let me give you an example. If you get up in the morning with joy in your heart, and you're like, man, I just, I love God, I love the world, I love the whole thing. I'm so joyous. And then you get in your car at 7.30 a.m. and get on 405. <laughs> Are you happy now? <laughs> no. But I can still be joyous. Because my happiness is, is directly related to the amount, amount of, the amount of traffic on 405. But my joy is built on the fact that I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. And he has given me a joy. And that allows me to take on the struggles and the trials of the day. And if 405 is my biggest struggle today, that is definitely first world problems. Because there's a lot of people that are trying to feed themselves today, trying to make sure that they have a house today. And that's just in our country. That's not the rest of the people in the whole world. Do you follow me? So it's about our joy. So we're going to receive that message. And we're going to become imitators of you with joy because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the power for us to be able to follow Jesus. 
Now, Paul says you became imitators of us, but then he goes on and he tells them something else which is really helpful and beneficial to us is he said, you became examples to other people. Paul and company are giving us insight here into what it means to be an imitator of Christ. They're describing now how the Thessalonians portrayed Christ to others, and in doing so, they're going to show us how we can display Christ to others. So if you're a practical person, like I'm a practical person, I like to, in my work, I tell people all the time, if you and I have had a face-to-face meeting and I do not walk out of this room with action items, you have wasted my time. That could have been an email. So I'm here to tell you, this is a sermon and you are going to walk out of here with action items and I am not going to waste your time. Here's some action items. As you're being an example to others, number one, notice that they proclaimed the gospel. Look at verse number eight. For the word of the Lord rang out from you. You proclaim the gospel. If we're going to be examples to other people as they follow Christ, and you're going to look to other people as they follow Christ, one of the earmarks of somebody following Christ is they proclaim the gospel. One of the things that Paul says about Christianity and Christians and the church at large is he says, if the resurrection is untrue, we as a people are to be most pitied. This is our message. The gospel message, the good news is our message and we should be proclaiming it. We should be proclaiming it with our mouths. We should be proclaiming it with our actions. Right? There was a, somebody once said somewhere, uh, in every day proclaim the gospel and when all else fails, use your words. Right? That's a kind of quote of that. The point of that is, is that our lives should show the gospel and our words should show the gospel. And our lives are showing the gospel because as we imitate Christ and we realize that the gospel has an impact on me every single day, It changes the way I live, I act, I behave, I speak, I interact with other people. We have to proclaim the gospel. They did. Secondly, you turned, he says, to God from idols. Now, I love this one. Because when I say the word idols, how many of you immediately in your mind see a big fat Buddha in somebody's backyard or in their garden? I'm the only one. I heard some chuckles, nervous laughter. You can raise your hand. How many of you see other things, right? There's all kinds of stuff. You know, there's a, um, uh, every once in a while, if you go back down this direction, about twice a year, you know, there's that uh, Buddhist temple that's down there on the corner just past the, the uh, roundabouts. And they've got like two parking spaces, And so that like twice a year when they meet down there, they like, man, you can't even, I can't get home. It's just like, forget it. There's no way for me to get to the house now. I just can't get there. The point of all, and there's a huge statue in the middle of that place, right? And so when Paul is talking to hear about idols, he's specifically talking about the fact that these Thessalonians were in this Greek Roman culture and they had statues everywhere. As a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Acts, Paul used to make these guys mad all the time. 
because they're the silversmiths and all the people that were making these little statues would get run out of business because nobody was buying the little statues anymore. So Paul is very clearly speaking specifically about these false gods that are handmade that they worship, that people worship. And that still happens today. Here in Linwood, there are still people that have little shrines in their house and have shrines in their churches and they they go and they worship these idols. Now you say, Steve, I don't have that problem. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You do. It just looks a little different. Right? One of the things that we would call that is an idol of the heart. And sometimes idols of the heart can be really, really good things. Like children. Now, I'm about to step on some toes, but that means if I do, that's because you had them out in the aisle. It's a good one. See, y'all will think about it later this afternoon and you're going to go, that was the one. That was the money right there. Sometimes in our culture, we can elevate our children to a place where we actually are worshiping them. We worship them through their, through their academic excellence. We worship them through their athletic excellence. And I'm not saying that your kids should do bad in school, and I'm not saying that your kids shouldn't play sports. I'm saying that when you choose those things over everything else, you have created an idol. You say, but they're my children. Yep. And if they come before God, you have created an idol. Right? And there's other idols. Fishing, <laughs> bowling, football, whatever you got going on. We can pick, a, you know, pick your favorite thing. And if you're putting it before God, it has become an idol. Let me tell you some other things that can become an idol that you don't necessarily think of. Things that are really good. Um, relational uh, constructs where we're going to make this the pinnacle of the universe. Uh, Scripture reading where it becomes the pinnacle of the universe, right? Is relational uh, structure good? Yes. We need to hold each other accountable and know each other deeply. It's good. Do you need to read your Bible every day? Wow, man. Okay. Okay. In the beginning, (laughs) yes, you should be reading your Bible every day. But when that becomes the focus, and then the God of the Bible has lost the focus, then you have an idol in your heart. You following me? So it's tricky. They turned to God from their idols. We need to do that as well. Then he says in verse 9, he said, you serve God. So that struck me, and I said, what does it mean to actually serve the living and the true God? If we've gotten rid of our idols, what does it mean to serve the living and true God? And I was reminded of this statement that comes that Jesus makes from Matthew chapter 25, and this is what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in, or without clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now that's a very pragmatic way to serve God. If we're going to proclaim the gospel and we're going to stand up here and we're going to say that the gospel changes lives in the here and now, and we don't look to that and say, when I see people that are naked and need clothes or homeless and need homes or hungry and need food, and we disregard that altogether, we're missing the point. You can get a lot of people to hear the message of Jesus when you start out by giving them a sandwich. And you say, is that really true? I mean, Jesus did it. 4,000, remember? 5,000 people. He fed them, and then he gave them the gospel. Right? That's how we serve God. Finally, he said about these guys walking after, following after Christ, is he said, you await Jesus' return. This is so powerful. The old preachers used to say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good and don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. And what that means in a nutshell is that we need to work while we wait, right? Sometimes we can say, oh, I'm waiting for Jesus's return and we can go find a hill somewhere in upstate New York and just sit down and wait for him to come. That's a waste of our time, his time, and what he's asked us to do. So we need to work while we wait. But notice that this is the driving motivation. I don't know about you guys, but as uh, I get older, and I'm just a baby. But as I get older, when John says, even now, Lord, come quick, comes to my mind more and more, and more. Because that's the culmination of everything that there is. When the new heavens and the new earth come down and set down on this earth, and we get to exist for all of eternity under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, man, that's going to be good. That's going to be good, and restful, and peaceful, and praise-filled, and painless, and tearless. Isn't that going to be good? Don't you need a little bit of that right now? Yes. Boy, I can't wait. I can't wait. But in the waiting, I got to keep working. I got to keep proclaiming. I got to keep those idols out of my heart. I got to keep serving. I got to keep waiting. So what? So what does all of this mean? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you welcomed the message of the gospel? You know, when when I stand in this pulpit and I get to open the word of God, I never take it lightly that the most important thing that I can ever say to you is uh, to quote Billy Graham in this, there's a God that loves you 
and a Jesus that died for you. And if you'll repent of your sins and accept him as Lord and Savior, you get to spend an eternity with him. That's the gospel message. That's what we bring. My plea to you this morning is if you have not received the gospel message, scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Secondly, do you have a person in your life that exemplifies Christ? Is there somebody that you look to? Is there somebody that as you have been growing in your faith for however long you've been a follower of Christ that you look to? I can look back in my lifetime and I can point to three men that had a drastic and radical impact on my life and changed its trajectory. All three of those men were pointing me to Jesus the entire time I had any interaction with them. I just ran into them a month ago, last month or so when I was down in Florida and I hadn't seen him in probably 20 years. But when we came back together, boy, it was a sweet moment of all of the things that he taught me. And I told my boys, uh, well, I told my wife who was there, the boys weren't there. I was like, this is the guy. This is the guy. All the stupid stuff that comes out of my brain, it's his fault. This is the guy. Who in your life exemplifies Christ? Who are you looking to? You say, well, man, I've been doing this for 50 years. Yeah, we can always have somebody that's a step ahead of us, a step ahead of us, a step ahead of us. And I also want to remind you that uh, uh, chronological age does not necessarily equal maturity. You may learn something from someone who is much younger in their faith that has grasped something and is moving forward with it that you have not yet seen. Who is it in your life that exemplifies Christ? And finally, are you a person that exemplifies Christ to others? Is there somebody that you are mentoring? Is there someone that you are discipling? Is there someone that you are actively, visibly, markedly showing Christ to? Whether that's formal or informal. Also always remember, as uh, the lady from Monsters, Inc. said, we're watching you, Wazowski. <laughs> people are watching. The people that you work with that aren't believers, they say, oh, let's see how the Christian acts to this, reacts to this. Those that are believers looking and seeing, oh, let's see how this person would handle that. Let's see how that person would handle this. Be an example. Following Christ. Remember, it's not in your own flesh. Every human being that you look to is going to fail you. Remember that. But the God they serve will never, ever fail you. Let's pray together. Father, we are...
again, just so grateful that you uh, sent your son to die on the cross for us. And that uh, as you, uh, Lord, were resurrected off of this planet, that you left the Holy Spirit with us and that he uh, in uh, indwells us, that he leads us, that he guides us, that he empowers us, that he is the one that is in control as we maneuver through this life, looking to others to example, uh, as an example of, of you and trying to be examples to others, knowing that we cannot do it in our own power and in our own faith. It is only through Christ. So Father, we pray now that you would draw us closer to you, that you would make us more like you. And as a result of us being here together, that we would praise and honor you. We say these things in Jesus' name, amen.